if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, go ahead and grab them or turn them on and head on over to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 14 today as I get there myself. We are starting our Advent series, as you are quite aware, by us lighting a candle. And uh, we're good Baptists, so we only follow the church calendar two times a year. And that's right now during Advent, and that's also during Lent, which is leading up to Easter. But I just want to quickly note again, for those of you who may be new with church, or maybe you've joined our church and you come from a different church experience where they don't follow the calendar at all, Advent just means coming or arrival. And it's a four-week period that's leading up to Christmas that is designed to help prepare your hearts for the coming Christ. But more importantly, it builds anticipation to his second advent when we were waiting for him to come and rule and to reign. And I wrestled with what I wanted to share about during this advent series because, you know, there's only so much that you can go through over the years. And I wanted it something to be fresh and something that would spark worship from your heart. So I landed on fleshing out over the next four weeks the importance of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming man, clothing himself in flesh. This is a central truth to our faith. And I think that we have times as Christians have overlooked its importance and its beauty because it's lost its awe in our eyes. And what it should do is cause us to marvel every day at the mystery and the brilliance of God our Father. So in this Advent series that I've called God With Us, today's sermon is going to be discussing and focusing on the first step of the incarnation, which is God becoming man, clothing himself in flesh. And as this truth begins to enter our minds, I pray it doesn't stay there. I pray that his joy will begin to fill our hearts again over this doctrine, that the light of the truth of the incarnation will lead to the heat of the effect and affection and the adoration of Jesus Christ. That every because when you look at every true fire, we love fire because it gives what? It gives light, but it also gives gives warmth. It gives heat. And theology is supposed to do the same thing. If you've ever said, oh, I don't care about doctrine or theology, I just care about relationship, please go to the bathroom and wash your mouth out with soap. That's the worst thing you can ever say because you can't even learn about your relationship without having doctrine and theology, okay? But proper theology, yes, knowledge can lead to puffing up of your head and pride, but when you study theology the way you're supposed to, it's supposed to lead to something called doxology, which is worship of our king. So true theology gives light, but it doesn't stop there. It gives heat to the heart. It turns your affections towards Christ. When theology is properly applied, lives are changed for the better. Affections are stirred, and people get fired up once again for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of the Advent series and season in the doctrine of the incarnation, that it would renew our worship today, which is the purpose of Christmas altogether. The most important 
sorry, the most powerful moments in, Bibl- in the biblical Christmas stories are all fully centered on the worship of the one true God. Every time God shows up in the accounts of the Christmas stories, we see wise men bowing, we see shepherds running to go, we see Mary pondering, we see angels singing in the hot heavens, and all because... The fundamental truth that the Lord Jesus Christ, that the God is worthy of all our glory, adoration, and praise. Amen? That is the power of the biblical Christmas story. It always rightly ends in worship of the one who is worthy of all of our praise. And if you and I take the journey together as a church towards the manger and we begin to prepare our hearts for the coming Christ, we will see again with fresh eyes the reality of light and love and heat and joy and glory that is found in Jesus Christ. And we can again have our affections turned because when our worship is where it's supposed to be, all life comes into view. Don't treat this Doctrine. Don't treat this series as commonplace or mundane. The opportunity of this series is three things. It is, you need to click on the easy worship, please. Uh, it's a renewed worship, renewed perspective, and renewed purpose. Thank you. Now I have control. So that is what our aim is for the next four weeks. We're going to have renewed worship. Renewed perspective and renewed purpose because it's talking about the gospel. The gospel hangs on the incarnation of God because without the God-man, without Christ becoming flesh, we would never have the life, the perfect life that is lived on our behalf. We would never have the death that we deserve to die, died for us, and we would never have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which means, the Bible tells us, you would still be dead in your sins, and you would be pitied more than anyone else on this planet. Christmas is truly about worship, my friends. And so with that introduction in place, let's dig into the astounding glory of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And I know there are some of you who are here, as we use words like incarnation, you might be thinking, what does that even mean? Or maybe I've heard that word a few times in church, but now I've been here too long and I'm too embarrassed to ask. Okay, so let's quickly get on the same page before we jump in with a definition that I've combined. I've taken both Don Carson's uh, definition and Wayne Grudem's definition, and I've merged them together. And this is what it says. The infleshing of God, or the act of the Son whereby he took on himself a human nature. That is the incarnation, God becoming flesh, God stepping out of pre-incarnate glory, and the eternal God stepping into time, into a body that is subject now to time and to death. It's incredible. It's the glory and mystery of the incarnation. And one of the clearest expressions ever in, in, in all of Scripture is the Scripture that we are studying here today in John 14, which says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, just look with me at that first sentence. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. 
We're going to anchor three uh, uh, fundamental points from this little verse today. And the first one is God became man. That's astounding. And my prayer is that we will see this and believe this as astounding, that we will see the reality and the amazing truth that is found in the incarnation of Jesus taking on flesh. So again, verse 14 says, the word became flesh. And the first thing that I want you to notice in your Bibles is the word word. And notice that the word has a capital W on there. And why it has a capital W would necessitate that we just do a little bit of background work today to set our context. If you just look a few verses before in verse 1 of chapter John, uh, John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then, cha- or, and then verse 2 says, He was in Uh, He was in the beginning with God. So pick up on the he there. We're learning something about this word. It's a person. It's a he. He was with God. And he was in the beginning with God. And now verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. And in him was life and the light of man. I don't know if I'm out of spice there, but uh, can you get me on key? And then we read verse 5, and I look at verse, and verse 5 gives us so much hope. Because as we look at this dark world, we begin to lose hope sometimes. Are you ever kind of worried about everything going on with the eastern part of the world and the western part of the world? Are you losing a little bit of hope this Christmas season? Are you finding yourself discouraged, biting your nails maybe just a little bit more? Well, let verse 5 Uh, give you joy. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. Is verse 5 not in the PowerPoint? Okay, sorry, that's my fault. I guess I can't blame you this time. Just because the world is dark, church, doesn't mean that the light, uh, that doesn't mean that they have overcome Christ. It doesn't matter how dark the world gets. It doesn't matter how messed up and how hard it gets. Darkness will not overcome the light. Amen? But notice what happens in these verses. In verse 1 and 2, we see the expression of God. We see the word is the definition of God. That The word is God communicating with his creatures uh, in creation. And let me explain it this way. My wife and I were married, obviously, that's why we're husband and wife, and we love each other. But at some point in our relationship, we had to get real and tell each other how we felt about each other. Now, I could have just stared at her and followed her around and probably got arrested, um, but, uh, I, uh, but I didn't do that because if I just stared at her, I'd learn a lot about her. I'd learn you know, her features and, and different things like that, but I'd never truly know who she was until we communicated how we felt, until we communicated who we were to each other. And the incarnation is God wanting to show us who he really is in a very beautiful way. He's communicating it to us. He's expressing it to humanity in a way that he's never done before. And that's by sending his son, the word of God. If you've ever questioned the deity of Christ, it's right here in our scriptures today. Christ is God. He's not inferior. He's not less. He is fully God. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 1 it says, Long ago, 
Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also created the world. The word is the definition, the expression, and the communication of God to his people. And notice this word is a person. He's eternal in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. He was never born. He was never created. Jesus wasn't just coming on the scene in the manger, right? God didn't create Jesus at that time and then he was born. If that's your understanding, I'm here to tell you that's incorrect. He is eternal. He was never created. He was always existed. He is the eternal God with God the Father and God the Spirit, co-equal. Notice he was with God and was God. This word is God himself. And notice that the word is a person. He is the creator of all things. Everything that was created was created through him. Only God has that power. Only God has that ability. Nothing was made that was not made by him. He is the creator. And notice that this word is the very source of life. And that's your life too. That's all life. If you are here right now and you're looking for life, and there are some of you who are here right now and you're longing for life, you're longing for purpose, you're longing for satisfaction, something to finally fill that void, and you, don't, and, you don't have, and you don't have it because you're dead in your sins. You're discouraged and you're depressed in the darkness of this world. I want you to listen to this if that's you. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your life and light. All life is found in Christ and nothing else and no one else. And notice that the life is the light of mankind. It's for everyone. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one. The word of God is the son of God revealed in the person of God. He is life and light to all mankind. And then in verse 5, this person reigns supreme. He is victorious and the darkness has not defeated him, but he is overcome. He has been victorious on the cross. And if you're here right now and you're in darkness and you know you're in darkness, but you're just afraid to admit that you're in darkness and you have no hope and you have no purpose and your future seems dim and sin is killing you, Jesus shines into your darkness and offers you salvation because he is life. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't push him off any longer. Don't continue on in darkness and don't be afraid to come to him when the lord finds you in darkness he's not like oh you're an idiot you want my grace seriously you no what he does when he finds you in darkness listen to this he shines again in his love in his grace in his patience in his glory he shines again into your heart and he says my child won't you come and find true rest and light and life in me Stop going to other sources of satisfaction. It's time to come to me. This is the power of the glory of your incarnation, which will eventually lead to the crucifixion and then to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just think, this word, the God that we read about in the first five verses of the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He's eternal. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere, all the time. He's transcendent and infinite. And then consider all of that. 
And then consider the wonder, the glory, consider the mind-blowing, flabbergasting reality now of verse 14 that we're studying today. In the word, the infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, awesome God became flesh. Wrap your mind around that. And when you read it and you understand the context, your first response is, what? That's too, that must be a typo. That must be an error. But we know there is no error in the word of God. It is infall- it's infallible. It's true. It, doesn't, it has not been changed. It's not full of errors. You can trust it. The word became flesh. Incredible and astounding. The God of all creation stepped down and entered into time, took on human flesh, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ left pre-incarnate glory and chose to dwell amongst his creation. And one of my goals each week, whether you like it or not, we're going to look at different incarnation lyrics from popular Christmas hymns or songs. Because why I want to do this is because my prayer for you and me this Christmas season, and I mean this sincerely, is that we would weep for joy over the doctrine of the incarnation, that we would be so moved by this beautiful truth that it would spark in us true and sweet worship to our king because of the mystery and truth that lies within this teaching. Don't let this doctrine lose its joy in your heart. Don't allow it to come mundane or commonplace. Don't let it do what the hills have done to me. When I first moved here, I was always enamored by the hills, and now I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, yeah, they're just big dirt piles. I just kept driving past them. Don't do that with the doctrines in the Bible. Let them hold your eyes. Let them behold the majesty of God. Don't let them become commonplace or plain this Christmas season. So I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for my family and this entire church that through the hustle and through the bustle of this Christmas season and the consumerism that runs so rampant during this time would be eclipsed by the glory of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that this season would produce worship out of you. I'm not saying that buying things for your family is bad. I'm not saying going to the shopping malls and, and getting some things from under the tree is bad. But I'm saying don't let it become your purpose. Don't let it steal your focus. Rather, let the incarnation do what it's supposed to do, which is hold your eyes and demand your worship and center your heart on Christ. That is a possible prayer. That is not impossible. And God loves to answer that prayer. So with that, here are some lyrics from a song called Mary, Did You Know? Just look at some of these uh, lyrics. It says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that uh, that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy would walk where angels trod? And when you kissed, get this, your baby, you have kissed the face of God. Isn't that an awesome lyric? Here's the next part. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day uh, be, uh, baby boy's Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nation? Did you know, you have to try to not sing it, right? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Wow. 
And if you're, and you try to put that into your finite mind, and you can kind of understand what's happening, but it's a mystery and it produces worship. This little child you're holding, this little bean that can't even like walk and it has to have his diaper changed is the great I am who created all of the heavens and earth. What? He came to earth and took on flesh. And if you're in Christ, you know why he came, why he humbled himself, why he subjected himself to so much pain, so much humiliation. He did this because he loves you. Hebrew says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. But he also did it because he was sent to die for you. Oh, Lord, help us not take this for granted. That we wouldn't casually sing songs of worship, listen to song, uh, sermons preached about these doctrines. May we, O oh Lord, weep for joy this Christmas season over the love and power and the reality of the incarnation of Jesus. Church, thank him this season. Adore him that he was willing to take on flesh. J.I. Packer, talking about the incarnation, puts it this way. He says, the divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie there and stare and wiggle and make some noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk and live like any other child. And the more you think about it, this is where I want you to be, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. And that's where your worship comes. Because we don't want a God that we can wrap our whole minds around. Because if we can, he's not God. We want a God that, yes, we can understand because he's revealed himself to us, but we don't fully understand because he's a great and massive God. Amen? So the second person of the Trinity, the eternal God, the all-knowing, powerful, he subjects himself to become one of us. God became man. It's astounding. And I want to make sure you understand this. Within the doctrine of the incarnation, Jesus Christ becomes man, but he does not cease to be God. He doesn't cease to be God. He's truly God, and he's truly man. The fancy theological term for this, and it's important that you hear these terms so you know what's being talked about, is the hyperstatic union. That's the fancy theological term to talk about that Christ has two natures. And if you want to sound really smart and impress all your friends at your next Christmas party, just drop this word casually, and they're all going to just, wow, he's so cool. At least that's what they told me in Bible college. It hasn't happened yet, but uh, I'm still waiting. But uh, that is the term. So when Jesus becomes flesh, it means that he is one person with two natures. Uh, 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 he doesn't just take on a human body. He takes on all things human. He takes on a human mind, human emotion, human will. And why does he do this? Why does he do this? So that in every respect, he might identify with us. And these two natures are not in competition. They don't diminish each other, but they are truly both existing, truly God and truly man. And he came as a man so he could sympathize with us, identify with us, because Jesus is fully man. That means everything you're going through right now in your life, the pain, the hurt, the emotions that the holidays stir up when loved ones are not present with you, the death that we have experienced collectively through friends and family, Jesus can fully relate to that right now. He is your Savior who can fully sympathize with you. 
He understands because he lived a human life. He was tempted like we were tempted, but without sin. He chose to come flesh, and ultimately, he would die for us. The word became flesh. No wonder why the angels sang. Wouldn't you be singing too? When God decided to take on human flesh, no wonder why the shepherds ran. Wouldn't you run too? No wonder the wise men bowed down and worship. Wouldn't you? No wonder why Mary sat there and pondered these things. Wouldn't you? No wonder why Simeon, as he held the great I am in his hands, he, he cried out, I can die now, for my eyes have seen your salvation, God. And when you tr truly hold Christ in your life, just as Simeon did in his arms, you too can say the same. You too will be at peace with dying because there is nothing else in this life that you need. There is nothing else that compares when you know that you are holding the King of kings and Lord of lords within your body by faith. You hold the Savior who died the death you should have. You hold the Savior who lived the life you should, you should be and who suffered under the wrath of God so you wouldn't have to. And when you know this, that the Jesus you hold is actually the one who's holding you securely, you will be like Simeon too. You'll be content with dying because as Paul says, to live is Christ. But what does he say after that? To die is gain. Because when you die, you will truly live. God became man. And all of life is, be, is found in this tiny child in the manger. The Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Let your hearts ponder that. Secondly. Oh, I don't know why. They were all there this morning. So secondly, God dwells with man. Write that one down. Look at verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The words of this verse might be short in length, but oh, how they are great in depth and truth and in wonder and in majesty. So God became flesh to live among us, his creation to, uh, that he created. And it's astonishing when you think about this. But I also want you to notice the word tabernacle, uh, the word dwelt. That's the word tabernacle. You need to click on the PowerPoint. Stay there. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and, the and that's significant because when you consider the biblical theology of the tabernacle throughout Scripture, this starts to blow your mind. It starts to feed your heart with love and adoration because the Old Testament tabernacle was in which God would live and identify with his people. It was the tabernacle that signified and housed the presence of God. And you just need to now wrap your mind with me around the theology of John 14. The presence of God who was in the tabernacle, within the temple of the Old Testament, is now placed within a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. No wonder why Gabriel said to Mary in Luke 1.35, and the angels answered her and said, the Holy Spirit came upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Why is he called holy? Well, look how it ends. Because he is the Son 
of God. He chose to tabernacle among us. He chose to dwell among us. So again, the beautiful biblical theology of the tabernacle is that the Old Testament the, uh, tabernacle foreshadows, it looks forward to the perfect tabernacle that is found in Jesus Christ. And then to connect it even further, but we won't go there too much, is that your body now becomes that same tabernacle that hosts the Holy Spirit. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that change how you look at your Christian life? Doesn't that change how you always want to go to that same sin all the time? But you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So why are you going there when you're the holy temple that holds the Holy Spirit? Let that flow through your head. And if you want to learn more about this beautiful picture, you can read between uh, Hebrews 8 and 9. It talks about this, uh, about Jesus who is the true tent uh, uh, compared with the earthly tent. He is the heavenly tent of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant. And this is significant fulfillment because what we must understand and what we must marvel at is God is dwelling now on earth in all of us. The presence of God has made himself visible in terms of taking on human form to save, to redeem to shine his glory. How awesome is our God? How awesome is our Savior? How worthy is he of our worship? Who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands? Think about Jesus when he chose to dwell among us. He chose to be born to a woman and subject himself to all the natural uh, ins and outs of a human birth. He chose to do that. He grew in infancy. He subjected himself as a toddler that needed to be fed, who needed to learn how to walk. He grew up as a teenager and grew into adulthood. He hungered. He saw loved ones die. He saw loved ones mistreat it. And he learned a trade. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature. This is the eternal God we're talking about. He became thirsty. He grew tired. He slept. He marveled. He had emotion. He felt pain. He wept. He prayed. He read. He was tempted and he submitted perfectly to the will of the Father. He then suffered severely at the hands of men. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He was beaten. He died a horrible death on a Roman cross. He was buried and he was raised all in a human body. He ascended to heaven and one day he will return again in his human body to gather his church and to judge the earth. All because God became man and dwelt among us. Allow that to sink in and allow that to produce sweet worship out of your life. And as I reflected on this over the week, I couldn't help but think of another Christmas hymn, which is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, Christ the everlasting, Christ by highest heaven adorned, Christ the everlasting Lord. Remember verses 1 to 5 of John, he was in the beginning and he was God. Late in time before he, behold, he come, the word became flesh. Offspring of a virgin's womb, he dwelt among us, veiled in flesh, John 1.14. The Godhead sees, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, with man to dwell. Church, he willingly came. God wasn't just sitting up there one day, goes, you know what I should do? I should just send my son to die. Sure, that sounds good. No, this was planned. This was the plan, the plan of redemption. And he 
willfully came and he was pleased to come to dwell as man. Jesus our Emmanuel. Let this move your heart. Let this produce worship. Let this to overcome you with the glory of the Lord. We deserved hell. We deserved wrath. We deserved death. But look what we got instead. It's a whole lot better. We got a Savior who was pleased to come and humble himself to the point of death on the cross for us. You could die for me, O God, so that I would live? Really? And if you ever struggle with believing that, you can be sure of that because of his willful incarnation. Those of you who are being stirred right now by the word of God, what's happening is that we are encountering the living God. And when you encounter the living God, it makes the rest of the world just feel like dung. When you hold this marvelous truth in your eyes, doesn't it just kind of make everything else pale in comparison? Like God is so magnificent and the, arc, the incarnation is so magnificent, the rest of life just kind of feels plain. The glory and the satisfaction that's found in Jesus and in the incarnation, you can't get anywhere else in the world. You can have a living room full of presents. You can have the biggest house that you could ever buy. You can have the best relationships that you think you deserve. You can have all the money in the bank and you can have your retirement set and ready to go, but it will never amount to the joy that is found in Jesus. Never. Everything pales in comparison to the baby that laid in the manger. And when you can sit by yourself in a room with an open Bible and you can behold the glory of God, of God anew. And as tears stream down your faith, face as you reflect on the fact that this Savior set you free from sin and death. And the satisfaction that fills your heart and the joy that fills your life. Nothing can hold a match to that. As God draws near to you, as you draw near to him. Nothing equates with God in the entire universe. And this is our opportunity, church, as men and women of God who want life at its fullness, the abundant life that is found in Jesus. This is what we should do. Run from your sin. Run from it. Turn from your idols. Smash them. Forget your life of sexual immorality, be it heterosexual or homosexual. Forget it. Run from it. Turn the way that is true and right and pure in Christ. That way is the way to salvation. My challenge to you this Christmas season is just that, that you would stop running to different sources of satisfaction that is actually leaving you wanting. It is actually killing you. Run to Christ, abandoning your sins and gaining a new perspective which will fuel a renewed worship which will end with renewed joy in the Lord. That's my challenge that we would get serious about our faith, amen? So let's close with this, considering our third point, and I'll go through this one a whole lot quicker. It's not on there either. Verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen him, the glory of the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. So this third point is called God reveals his glory to man. So the tabernacle of the Old Testament is replaced with the true tabernacle of Jesus Christ. 
Why? That he might reveal his glory. That we might see his glory. And in many ways, that glory shines into the hearts of men and women. 2 Corinthians who, uh, says this in 4.6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. He has revealed his glory. The incarnation puts his glory on a pedestal in a way that has never been shown before. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, his glory was being shown. When he was raised from the dead, his glory was being shown. He is the true tent. And what's amazing is Moses prayed, Lord, show me your glory. But Moses was warned by God, hey, if you look at me fully, you're going to die. So you got to hide your face. you got to veil your face. But what's amazing is now we are gazing upon the incarnation of Jesus Christ when faith leads to sight. And we behold the true glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pick up on 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all, get this word, with unveiled faces. We're not like Moses. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the another, for it comes from the Lord who is spirit. We all, we all with unveiled faces, we can, we can view the glory of God because of the incarnation, because Jesus Christ dying for our sins and rising from the dead, we can behold the glory of the Lord. And by doing so, we are being transformed into his image, the image of the Son. And we see this played out in the transfiguration in John. The mo most scholars suggest that John would have actually had the transfiguration in mind when he was writing verse 14. And in the transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He goes up the mountain, and he's transfigured before them in a great white of light, and glory shines around them, and, and it's a magnificent display of the deity of Jesus. And do you remember what Peter says to Christ when he's standing there? Does anyone know? It is good, Lord, that we are here. And it's recorded in every gospel that records the transfiguration. He says, it is good, Lord, that we are here. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm terrified of the glory of the Lord, but there's nothing more beautiful than the glory of the Lord. There is no other place that I want to be than in the glory of the Lord, in his presence. He says, Master, it is good that we are here. Yes, it's terrifying. It's wonderfully terrifying. It's beautifully perfect. So this Christmas, gaze upon the glory of the Lord and say to God, it's good to be here. It's good that I'm here. I'm telling you, loved ones, that you, when you gaze upon the true glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the trial you're facing, no matter what you're in, no matter the hard circumstances, no matter the problems that are arising or the doubt and the fatigue and the fear that you're wrestling with, when you gaze upon the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the beauty of God, everything is eclipsed in his glory. And this is what we've talked about for the last four weeks leading up to this series. That, that God, the who of God, will eclipse our pain. Doesn't mean our pain doesn't exist, but it means that God is greater than our pain. And our eyes are focused on him, and it helps us overcome our pain. It doesn't turn into cul-de-sacs where we live. Rather, it turns into bridges out of our pain. We shouldn't live in our pain. And the glory of the God helps us as a bridge to heal. 
rather than living in the cul-de-sac. And the reason why many of us lack peace is because we love our glory more than we love the glory of Christ. It's just that plain. And that's why we fret. And that's why we worry. And that's why we're disturbed. Because the truth be told, we don't take time enough in our busy life to just marvel and behold the glory of God. I don't have time. Get up earlier. Well, I'm tired. It's worth it, church. Marvel at the glory of the Lord. Because when we don't do this, what it does is it puts our eyes back on our circumstances and it leaves us to our own devices. And this applies to everyone in the room. You gaze upon the glory of the Lord and you set your eyes upon him and you make it about him and you trust him. I'm not saying that life's easy. I'm not saying that there are not massive issues and hurts in this room right now. I know they are. You've told them to me. But what I'm saying is when you look and you behold the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory, all of life and expectation is put in its rightful place. All of pain and all of hurt and all of suffering begins to get overshadowed by God. And it begins to produce a worship of God. Your pain will still be there. It will still be painful, but your trust and your confidence in who God is and what he's able to do will be renewed in the shadow of his glory. And I want to speak directly as well as I close to the lost sinner who might be here today, who might be watching online. Your sin is killing you. Your sin is devastating you, and your sin is destroying your family and your relationships. The lost sinner who is here today, who is stuck in the futility of this world and the lost hopelessness of our society, listen to this. Jesus shines into your life and into your heart today. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, and he is the glory, and he is able to overcome all your fears. Don't you see the purpose of the Incarnation Church? He was supposed to die for your sins. I've said this about 10 times in the sermon because I want you to get this truth. I want you to understand this and hold this and preach it to yourself. Don't wait, you who are lost. Don't wait, you who are claiming to be in Christ but yet are living a double life. You who are continuing your sin, turn to Jesus today. He is the answer, and he will never leave you. He is what you're longing for. He is what you're trying to satisfy in your life through sexual relationship after sexual relationship, through drugs after drugs, through gambling after gambling. Jesus is what you're trying to fill that void, and you're missing it. He is what will fill that void for you. When you see the glory of the Christ, child, you will truly live. Listen to this poem as I close. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts uh, uh, the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls, hear this, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. The meek soul that will still receive him the dear Christ will enter into your life. Our text says that we have seen the glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in Hebrew, the word glory means weight. And we truly see in the incarnation the weight of glory, the value of life, 
This is why Simeon, when he was holding the baby Jesus, he knew he was holding the weight of glory. When Peter fell down in the boat because of the catch of fish, he was broken in his sin, but he was so overcome by the glory, he knows that he is bound by the weight of glory. When the Roman soldier who watched Jesus die and the sky began to get dark and the world began to shake, he knew he was watching the weight of glory die. When Thomas, who doubted, set his eyes upon the risen Christ in his human body with still his scars and wounds to prove it, Thomas in that moment knew his eyes were seeing the true weight of glory when he said, my Lord and my God. There is nothing like setting your eyes on the true weight of glory, church. So why did Jesus Christ come? He came to reveal his glory so that we might too bow a knee in humble adoration. God incarnate, Lord of glory. No wonder why the angels sang glory in the highest. Because what else can you sing? What else can you say? It's the beauty and the power of the incarnation. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for this marvelous truth God, we thank you that you are always faithful, unlike PowerPoints. God, we thank you, Lord, that uh, the truth of your incarnation is something that our worship is grounded upon and rooted upon, O oh Lord. Father, may we, as we go through this Advent series uh, season, Lord, may we not lose focus of why you came, of why we celebrate Christmas. Father, but rather would our eyes be transfixed on the glory of your son. And God, may that produce corporately here and individually true and sweet worship. So Father, as we go to sing, may we lift high and proud our voices to the name, to your name, to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord incarnate, God Almighty. Amen.